Hey guys, Brian and Tony with you. Glad to be with you guys on a uh, unscheduled podcast date. Uh, we had uh, somebody email us and wanted us to do a special uh, episode, so here we are doing it, Brian. Hey, we listen to our listeners. What yeah. are you gonna What are you gonna say whenever they contact us and they're like, "Hey, will you do this?" Of course, we're gonna do it. Uh, but first, we got to talk to about an event we got coming up pretty soon. Tony, we gonna fill us in? Yeah. So we also got contacted today um, by a lady out of Nashville, Tennessee, who puts on a conference every year, and the conference is called a No Pity Party Conference, Brian. And what that is is she talks to people uh, in this conference setting. She has some speakers and then a keynote speaker. Um, and she uh, puts on this thing where she gets all these group of people together that have testimonies, that have went through things. And she contacted us and asked Brian and I to actually be a keynote speaker. And so that is on November the 9th in Alamo, Tennessee. That's in between Memphis and Nashville, if you guys can make it. It's from 6 until 8. And we'll give you some more information as that time gets closer. Um, but we're looking forward to speaking at that event, and we're very honored and thankful. Brian, tonight on the show, uh, we've actually had an um, email come in to us where um, a lady, a listener in West Virginia, correct, Brian? Right. Uh, came to us and wanted us to answer some questions. She's putting together a Bible study, and she likes what we're doing. And I told her we'd be happy to, to do what we could to, to be a part of that effort. And so um, this is a special episode. We're going to be answering some of her questions um, and sometimes these will relate, sometimes they won't relate, but we're glad you're tuning in to listen to this bonus episode. Absolutely. All right, Brian, so what we got? What do we got going on? So anyway, as Tony was saying, she sent us a bunch of questions uh, for kind of fill in for a different Bible study kind of questionnaire. In fact, actually, I know that they connected with uh, Lindsay Coffer and sent her these questions as well, and Lindsay's going to be working through that and, and answering those questions. We contact her today to see whether or not she's responded or not. But anyway, some of these questions are pretty hard-hitting that I think that um, we can give some insights to some of these. Of course, we're not saying that we're perfect in any of these answers or that we're the poster children for um, ministry by any means. Yeah. But but we were honored just to be even considered at be asked some of these questions, and so I responded uh, whenever they sent it. I, I went through it. Took me like an hour actually to type everything out. Hopefully, it won't take that long on the podcast. I don't think it uh, will. Uh, but you know, I, I do want to get into some of these things because they were important questions. Uh, question number one they sent us was, please tell me a little bit about your family's background in the church. Tony, do you want to start off with that? Yeah, so my family story is very unique, Brian. I uh, Let me count it down. I'm one, two, three, fourth generation apostolic Pentecostal, and my daughter is fifth, which is so exciting to me. And um, I, I count it such a privilege to have a quite a legacy that I, I, I tend to carry on. And uh, my story is my great-grandmother was the first one baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost in a little town called Cobden in the state of Illinois. And um, my grandmother still attends that church. My dad actually pastors that church. Talk about a full circle. Um, and my sister is um, a piano player, and my brother-in-law is the assistant pastor there. And my sister's little girl still goes to that church. But I'm so honored to carry on that tradition. Even though I'm not in that same church, um, I'm still blessed to have that as a heritage of mine. Brian, what about you? Uh, so mine is, is kind of a lengthy um, background. Uh, some of it... The, 
I, my mom, uh, whenever she was born, my parents, my grandparents were already in the truth. Um, but so I heard all the information uh, through one of my aunts. But the story, kind of when you back it up, it, it really ties into the history of the Jonesboro revival. And if you've, you've read the book like United We Stand, I can't, the, the author's name doesn't come into my mind right now, but it's a, one of the books you have to read in order to be licensed with the United Pentecostal Church. And in that, there's a few uh, references to Jonesboro that are made, and specifically to T. Richard Reed. And Tony, remember when we went to uh, speak with Tim Gaddy, and that podcast is coming out shortly, um, how there was that wall that was hanging up. And I asked, do you recognize whose picture that was the second picture in his office? Yeah, I remember that. Well, the, the picture uh, to our listeners was a picture of T. Richard Reed. T. Richard Reed was the second superintendent of the Arkansas district. And he was the pastor in Jonesboro of the church called Bible Hour Tabernacle. Well, his grand, his not his grandfather, his father-in-law was Brother Crane. I don't know what his first name is, but Brother Crane pastored the church that was in Truman, Arkansas, and the Bible Hour Tabernacle kind of was, from what I understand, was kind of born out of that church. So what happens is at uh, First Church in Truman, under Brother Crane's ministry, there was this family of sisters called the Enzer family, and they were kind of like the financial backers of the church. They were kind of the core members that were there at the time, from my understanding. Uh, so what happened was, at the time in Truman, one of the big factories people worked at was the Singer, camp, uh, Singer factory, and they made sewing machines and things like that. Uh, my grandparents worked there. My dad worked there. I had uncles that worked there. I had a great aunt that worked there. My great aunt, Opal Robinson, was working with LMA Enzer at this, at this building. And uh, LMA Enzer invited my great aunt to church. And so she, my great aunt was the one that connected my grandparents uh, to the apostolic truth because of LMA Enzer's witness to them. So they were picked up on like a, a cotton trailer. And they were brought to the church in Truman. That's where they got into church. My my fa- my grandparents uh, there they were Methodist prior to this. Um, but anyway, so actually they were what you would, they called shouting Methodist. Uh, one of my and uh, 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 uncles or something. Uh, whenever he found out that my grandparents had received the Holy Ghost, he actually got up out of his chair and shouted and ran in a circle around his seat, his chair, and and just sat back back down. But anyway, so. That's how my family first got uh, ingrained in the apostolic truth. And so, uh, of course, that would make me third generation because my mother was uh, raised in that. Um, my, she and my dad, they were connected again through the Singer Factory because I had my, my mom's brother-in-law worked beside my dad, and he's the one who introduced them together. And it's a kind of a crazy story how everything came to be, but that's kind of where my origins in the apostolic truth started. So we both have been kind of rooted in this, Brian. Right, right. I mean, this is this is home to me. So you're going to have to forgive me, Brian. I, I just took my phone in my office and plugged it up in the charger. So you've got the email. I, I can't ask you any questions unless we share your phone. <laughs> okay. So question number two was, when and where did you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and were baptized in Jesus' name? Well, I can answer that in two different forms. I can tell you when I first received it, and I can tell you whenever I received it, and I knew that I received it. Okay. I was uh, seven years old at the Cobden, Illinois Church. I can take you to the exact place. Um, I was 
seeking the Holy Ghost. My sister was seeking the Holy Ghost in the same church in the same um, service. And God filled me with the Holy Ghost. And I remember not wanting to be baptized, number one, because it was real cold outside. <clears throat> and two, my grandma and grandpa was out of town. And I wanted my grandma and grandpa to witness that. And I was actually the first person my dad has bapt that ever baptized, which was really cool and unique. But I can honestly tell you that it wasn't... Now, that was in 1997, okay? Uh, think back to when you were seven years old. You weren't... Even if you got the Holy Ghost, you weren't really living for God at that time. You you had an experience. Well, I can take you to the place in the Illinois District Campground in Wapella, Illinois, where I felt... Um, a closer drawing to God, and that place holds such a unique spot in my heart that I, I hope that you know everybody could experience. But it's just, it was 2004. You've heard me talk about it on the podcast before with Brother Tim Gaddy, which is now our Arkansas District Superintendent, was that was preaching. And I remember coming home so full of the Holy Ghost then, and Brian, it was then when I knew that my life was changed forever. Um, that's, that's pretty much my story. What about you, Brian? Uh, so with me, uh, both in the same place, it was on the corner of Temple and Christie Street. Um, I received the Holy Ghost in one of our youth services that our youth pastor, Eric Whittingham, was putting on that actually turned into a prayer meeting. Um, and that's a novel idea, people getting the Holy Ghost at a prayer meeting. Who ever heard of such a thing? That's, you're um, not supposed to do that. Yeah, except for in Acts chapter number 2, and that's when they receive the Holy Ghost at a prayer meeting. That's for another podcast. But that's another podcast. Anyway, so uh, that's what happened to me. We were having a youth prayer meeting, and I received the Holy Ghost at that time. And then um, I remember uh, not too long after that, I went to our pastor, Brother Ray. I remember knocking on his office door and asking him, can I be baptized? And I was kind of intimidated. I think I was eight or nine years old at the time. And, uh, he, of course he, he said yes. And I, you know, kind of surprised my parents with it. My dad had to leave church and run home and get me a change of clothes and came back in time at the conclusion of the service. And brother Ray allowed the youth pastor, um, to baptize me in Jesus name. And so that is where I first received the gift of the Holy Ghost, and that's where I was baptized in Jesus' name, was in that church in Truman growing up. Brian, let me see your phone. I think I've given it to you already. Oh, yeah, here it is. Oh. All right, so question number three is, who are some of your spiritual mentors or people that you admire? Oh, there's there's so many people that, that I would say that I admire. Um, of course, there's the uh, cliche answers of, you know, obviously there's these camp meeting speakers and people that everyone would know. Um, but as far as, as local people that I really admire and, and that I look up to, uh, I, I look up to anybody that uh, has a very firm grasp on truth because that's something I'm passionate about. Um, I like to connect with people that are like that. Um, anybody that that is passionate in their preaching, somebody that I look up to that in a style of preaching those are like there's just so many people that i would be remiss if i began to go through the naming of the list uh because i'd leave somebody out and i'd think about it later and i'd say oh man i forgot how about you give me your top five favorite preachers my top five favorite preachers again it's gonna vary you're hitting me on a night where uh next next week you ask me the same question to be different uh, i just off the top of my head five that i'll just name would be sam emory anthony mangan um Jeff Arnold, Wayne Huntley, Larry Booker. Okay. 
Uh, for me, I'll give you the tangibles and untangibles. Okay. All right. So what I mean by tangible is somebody who's um, planted seed in my life, mm-hmm. somebody who has one-on-one mentored me, and people like that that come to mind is obviously my pastor, Joey McKinnis. Mm-hmm. Um, he really, uh, really, really spoke into my life at a young age. Um, a prior pastor, John Chance, he used to pastor in Jonesboro. Um I, his very first Bible study, he was only my pastor for about six months, but I can tell you his very first Bible study that he taught mm-hmm. um, me really resonated with me, and it's something that I still live by. Um, and people like Daryl Runyon and Jess Gay, uh, they really took time to do a ministry development course that me and you both took, Brian. Yes. And something they've taught us is you know stuff that I still apply to my life. And I would say my the people that doesn't know that they've spent some time dealing with me would be like people like an Anthony Mangan and J. H. Osborne and you know people like that that really know how to get to me. Yeah, uh, that's that's something I can genuinely appreciate, especially in our movement. Yeah, uh, actually, I will to to uh, since you did name a few names, I will go through and the only names I'll mention as far as mentorship or people that were pastors in my life and one person that that was a high-level minister that was the first one that I felt like really um, saw something in me. So I have to give honor now to my first pastor whenever I was, from my memory, uh, was Brother Murray Ray. He taught me what faithfulness was. Uh, I was a young person growing up in that church. I really can't remember, because I was so young, many in partic- any in particular message that he preached, but he was my pastor for, for years, and, and he taught me faithfulness. I mean, there are just themes of his messages. I can remember, I can't remember instances necessarily, but I remember it being a a great point of his to stay in the pot that you were planted, which I didn't live by because I ended up moving churches. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things that kept me whenever I prayed back through the Holy Ghost, because whenever I left there, I wasn't right with God. Uh, Whenever I prayed back through the Holy Ghost, the reason why I stayed at the church rather than just jumping ship and going back was because I could hear his voice in my mind say, you grow in the plant, the pot that you were planted. And so... Little things like that just stick with you. And it, it did stick with me. And, and so I've always felt conviction about because I left. But I felt like it would have been worse if I had gone back because I felt like I would have, you know, rather than betraying one person, I would have now betrayed two. Uh, but he taught me things like that. He Everything that I define by what preaching is is defined by the way that he preached because he's the greatest preacher you can probably ever hear. He's got one of the best voices you can hear. Oh, he's got an episodic preacher's voice. He's got a fantastic voice, but he's certainly one of the most prepared and and one of the greatest and most anointed voices that's out there. And so I compare what preaching is by the measure of of how he did it. That's what I think of. And and I feel like there's there's a style of uh, an approach that he did that I, in a way, kind of mimic. i got to give honor to, as you said, John Chance. John Chance spent Monday nights with me, mentoring me, giving me Bible studies on Monday nights. If it wasn't for him, I would have never fallen in love with the truth. He's the one who taught me to fall in love with the Bible and to, that it was real and that, that it, it didn't have to be boring, a Bible study. He's the one who taught me that uh, to, to really fall in love with, with this truth. And then I got to give honor to, to Daryl Runyon, who's my pastor now. Without him, I would have never had the opportunities that I've been given. Um, 
without him, I would have never been licensed. He he has been good to me beyond what I could certainly merit, and you know he he's he's very open with the pulpit. He's willing to give young ministers a chance, even if you know they they aren't perfect. And by no means am I perfect. We've had to have many awkward conversations of him being like, Brian, why are you so boneheaded? And, and man, I think I've had more than those and that I really want. <laughs> and he's he's had some very blunt conversations with me, but the fact is that even through all that, he still has reached to me. And he's he's a person that lives by the philosophy of ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. And and, and so that is something that I'm learning from him. I'm not saying that I've learned it because that's something that God's got to work on me because I don't see me being as as meek as, and spiritual as he is because I feel like if it was me in that position, I would be much harder on some things. But it doesn't mean that I'm right. That's right. I, it believes, you know, there's, there's many, it could be my own carnality that says, well, because I feel like I'm better than somebody or, or whatever it is. But anyway, the, the fact is the Bible does say, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in spirit of meekness. And he embodies that. He embodies a love for people. And then I have to give honor uh, to your, your father-in-law because I felt like Brother Ramsey was the first minister that really noticed that I really had something to offer. He tried to get me involved in Sunday school. And one of the greatest things that he did, uh, most ministers that you're going to have in your life, they teach you how to live for God. But I, he's the one who taught me how to die for God because through his sickness of cancer, he was a man that it seemed like he always embodied peacefulness. And he taught me not just how to live for God, but how to die for God. All right, so I'm going to read question number four, and I'm going to give it back to you for five and six. Does that sound good to you? That's fine. All right, so number four is, do you guys go and travel to special services such as revivals, youth events, because of the Times, North American Youth Congress, etc.? Or have you ever been on a missions trip? If so, where? I have not been on a missions trip. I haven't either. Well, um, I guess I kind of have. Um, my... My mother-in-law is a children's evangelist, right? and we got, whenever my father-in-law that Brian just alluded to uh, was dying of cancer, one of his last wishes is that my brother-in-law, Craig O'Brien, and myself, sponsor of the podcast, Seal It Up. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Nice plug. Yeah. Whenever uh, David passed away, he asked that Craig and I continue to travel with Kim uh, and not to let that um, ministry die. So we've decided to keep it going, and um, we've been invited to Canada the last few years for a couple weeks at a time and traveling all over Canada. Um, Brian, have you been anywhere specific? Uh, no, like I said, I've never been on any mission trips, and in fact, I've never been out of the country at all. Uh, the closest, we need to work on that. Yeah, I, the closest I've been is I saw Canada once. <laughs> uh, I was in Detroit at the airport, and I saw Canada. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's as close as I've been. Now, traveling to special services, Brian and I both do that um, oh, yeah. because of the time. Such an awesome event. Let me yes. plug that. If you've never gone, go. Uh, two words, life-changing. Yes. Um, that is one of my favorite things to do. Um, as a matter of fact, um, some of the most impactful sermons there's ever been preached in our movement, you can thank because of the times for. Certainly. Um, many Brian, many uh, ministers have been called because of because of the times. 
All right, Brian, read me that number five question. Yes, I will. Uh, but I will say, uh, you know, also NAYC I've been to. I grew up going to camps. Tony, you were a camp rat growing up. Yeah, I think that's a later question, so let's get into that later. Okay. So we're on number six? Uh, something like that. Uh, oh, number five. I'm sorry. What roles and positions do you feel at your current church? So I like to be as much as an open vessel as possible for anything that I'm asked to do. Um, sometimes I do them with gladness, and sometimes I grit my teeth and do it. Um, but I, what I do mostly is uh, I am a musician at our church. Um, just about every service you'll find me in our drum booth playing um, the drums, and I, that's something that I'm very passionate about. I've been blessed to, to play outside of our local or local church, um, such as camp meetings and conferences and conventions and stuff like that. Uh, but that's mainly what you'll find me doing is uh, playing music. Yeah. Uh, with me, um, I've done a little bit of it all. I have done a little bit of Sunday school. I've done some youth stuff. I've done just about everything but music. And uh, thank God, <laughs> and nobody wants that. I can't clap on beat. I can't sing. I can't oh. do anything. Nobody wants any of that. My wife is 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 has a great talent for singing, so she makes up for me in that area. Uh, basically, what the main thing that I'm doing now, really, my main ministry role right now is I feel like this podcast is it right now. That's it. That's and, the same for me. Yeah, because I mean, I, I certainly feel like this is way more than a hobby. I feel like this really is a ministry that's connecting with people. And, and you know, I, I've got to say here, and Tony, I'd like for your, your thoughts on this when it comes to certain things. You know, we all uh, will be faced with opportunities in life, and we'll feel promptings of the Holy Ghost to do something. And, and, and I would encourage anyone that feels led of God to start a ministry— to get out there and start that. No ministry. matter no matter the feedback you get when you start mentioning it to people. Mm-hmm. Guys, let me tell you this. When Brian and I first started this podcast, we had people make fun of it. They may had we had people mock it. We had people ask us questions. Even after it's been out, we've had people say you need to do this and this and this for it to be successful. Brian and I have turned a deaf ear to every last bit of that. And yeah. you know what, Brian? Here we are. Here we are. I'm Here. very and I'm very thankful for the, the the voices we do have in our life um, that is that is not always positive right but they are people that that do help us but I mean it, it's out of out of the goodness of their heart that they're they're placed yeah. in our life yeah and there's nothing wrong with constructive criticism and of course I'm not we're not saying anything about you know usurp and go around a pastoral role in your life oh or no, no, like no, that. no you know we're not you know just because because there are folks out there that they may feel led to go do something, and it doesn't mean it's necessarily of God. Kind of like uh, what Philip Flowers is going to talk about in one of his podcasts, how there's many voices out there. I, 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 don't spoil it now. <laughs> and <laughs> there are many voices out there, and none are without significance. There's all kinds of voices that are out there, so we need mentors Brian, in our let me, life. Let me just tell us. you this story. I was on a phone call with a lady today that's a listener of our podcast, uh, matter of fact, it's the lady who invited us to be speakers at her conference. Uh, she was telling me when she first started her ministry, mm-hmm. she got laughed out of her hometown. Wow. But look at her now. Yep. That, that is awesome. You know, that's the thing is sometimes you just got to start. Sometimes you just got to start. You, and, and, you know, like I said. When was the best time to start? Uh, the best time to start was 20 years ago. What about now? Now is the second best Perfect. time. Perfect. Now is the second best time. Uh, so... You know, like I said, we encourage anybody out there to 
to get it out there. And, and even if nobody's been doing it before, and even if you don't know what all you're doing, just get out there and get after it. Do it. Get some mentors, get some godly leadership in your life and go for it. Uh, so uh, number seven. Oh, this one's this. Oh, no, no. I've got to go to number six. Come on, we man. Go to number six. We'll teach you your numerical order. Here I'm getting soon. there. I'm getting there. I'll, I'll let you ask number seven. Are there any particular sermons and services and, or songs that stick out to you or have a special place in your heart? Well, um, World Changers 2004. Brother Gaddy, I'm not going to just keep talking about it. You'll hear it plenty of times. You all will know that's my go-to every single time. Um, uh, the year had to be probably 2000. Joey McKinnis preached a sermon called When God Becomes Silent. Um, that is a, a sermon that genuinely changed my thought process as a young child. It, honestly, it scared me and got me to the altar out of fear. But now that more times I think about it, it is... Um, more and more relevant, especially in the times we're living in. Um, I mean, I will say a song that has recently came out um, for a couple years now is Waymaker. Brian, that song, when that first came out, and uh, the the chorus that says that he's a miracle worker, man, there, I can just relate uh, so many past situations personally. That song just really connects with me. And... Um, I mean, that definitely has special place in my heart. Um, one service that uh, I can definitely go back to was about five years ago, six years ago, Arkansas District Men's Conference, um, where, Brian, you know this story, Elias Lamonis and J.H. Osborne was preaching, and I had prayed and fasted that week. I said, God, send me a word. And then I get there, and it's two preachers I've never heard of, an older guy and a Hispanic guy that I'm not going to relate to, and God God socked it to me with the very first message, Brian. Right. And uh, that's from a man that's being older that I had no idea who he is to becoming one of my favorite preachers. I'm so thankful that we don't judge a book by its cover. No, no. <laughs> what about you, Brian? Uh, I've been through so many different services and sermons. Uh, I'll just tell you of of one song that stands out to me is Here in Your Presence by, I think it's New Life Worship or something. That was a song that was being sung at the junior camp that I was volunteering to work at uh, where I really prayed back through the Holy Ghost. So that song is very special to me because of the setting and context that I was in. It's one of those songs that's kind of like it's the same verse over and over and over and over again. Uh, so it's not the deepest song in the world, but it's special to me because of what it had. And actually, you know, I said I'd do one song. I'll throw one more out there. Uh, when I Speak Your Name was a song growing up that always pulled in my heartstrings. And so that's always been a go-to prayer song for me. As far as standout services, so many out there. There's so many uh, fantastic messages that I've, I've been privileged to be in the room of. Um, and can I just say, though, uh, when it comes like because of times in NYC and, and stuff like that, that those conferences are always just as good as you're going to make them. Uh, if you go to those services, no matter how powerful they are, if you don't take out of those services, uh, if you don't take home with you what was was imparted in those services, they were kind of just a waste of time. And so because of times, and, and NAYC, I would encourage anyone to go to those, but they're not the rapture. Uh, you got to come home and live what has been preached in that. One message that stands out to me that really impacted me, and it was a message that I, I took home with me, was actually at senior camp. Brother Jason Staten, I don't remember the title of the message. 
I just remember what it meant to me. He, he began to preach about how the greatest prayer meeting that goes on is the prayer meeting that is in hell. And he talked about how in the story of the rich man and Lazarus, how the, the rich man, when he was in hell and looked up and he saw Lazarus at the, in the bosom of Abraham, and he, he was praying and he said, Go, God, please send someone to my brothers. And the prayer meeting that is in hell is a prayer meeting of lost loved ones that are praying that God would send someone like you to go reach their loved ones that are still alive on earth. And when he preached that, that made a big impact on me because at the time I was struggling with, am I really called of God? And so I went and threw myself in the altar. And listen to this, Tony, this is crazy. So I'm in the altar and I'm praying about it. And I said, God, if this message was for me, if you're really calling me to the ministry the way that I believed years ago that you did, will you have Brother Staten come and pray for me? I leaned my head up off the altar. I, I was actually one of the few, it seemed like, from my mind's memory, uh, that was in the altar at that time. And I looked up. And I turned my head to the left. And all the way on the other end of the Arkansas campground sanctuary and the platform, Brother Staten was praying with a group of people on the complete other side of the sanctuary. And as soon as my eyes locked on where he was at, his head turned and made eye contact with me. And he walked across the platform, laid his hands on my head, and he began to pray over me and confirming the word that I was feeling in my heart. And so that was a message. That was a service that made the biggest impact Isn't on me. Isn't that something? Probably of any message. You'll yes. never forget it. Never forget that. All right, Brian, number seven. <sighs> and if, if you're following along, there's one. 20 questions, and then there's some bonus questions here. But number seven, we're going to have to be honest. And I hope you at home that are going to answer these yourself, you're going to be honest with yourself. Right. Because I'm going to be as honest as I can be. I hope you are too, Brian. Number seven says, what does your prayer time look like? Oh, I wish... I could say from one to three every day, but that's not so. Uh, it, it, this is an area of great opportunity for me in my life. I feel like working on deepening my prayers and lengthening my prayers are incredibly important, and that's something that I am intentionally trying to pursue. What my prayer really looks like, in all honesty, is kind of like I have a thought in my head, and I pray God help me with it or I'm reminded of my carnality and I repent over it, or I just think about Jesus and I tell him that I love him. And that's kind of how, when it comes to my mind, I just kind of pray it. it. It's not lengthy. But the thing is, though, I don't think it takes lengthy prayers. When you look at the story of Peter, when he's walking on the water and he begins to sink, he said, Lord, save me. Three words. But those three words were effective because when he prayed those words, Jesus was there and caught him out of that surf. I don't think you necessarily have to have lengthy prayers, though I'm not discouraging that by any means. In fact, I, I want longer prayers I want because I want to spend more time with God, not less. But here's what I'm saying is the measure of, a, of the effectiveness of prayer is not about the length. The Bible says the effectual and fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. If you want your prayer to avail much, to be effective, it doesn't put a time on it. It puts a quality on it, and the quality is fervent. As long as your prayer is fervent, I believe it will be effective. Well, for me, um, I'm just going to be blunt and honest with you. There's a lot of room for improvement. Brian, let me tell you why. I have been convicted doing these podcasts, and I've tried to better myself after listening to these episodes. But um, one thing that I have definitely learned was that 
when you feel like you can't pray anymore, you start pulling stock from heaven that you've placed so much time into. And for me, it always seemed like I would always pray asking God for things, like something that I felt like I needed or something I had to have. And I always went to him out of want or out of need. And I never went to him with a thankful heart. And Brian, that's something I'm really struggling with. I want to change the way I pray to more of a thankfulness instead of more of fleecing God. That is awesome. I want to be more thankful and have a grateful heart. I mean, you guys, I can't really go into much detail. Oh, I definitely will at a, in another podcast. Brian, you know exactly where I'm going with this. But I went through this trial the last few weeks, and y'all, it, it could have been bad. But because I have a family, such as a grandmother and parents and a wife that plead the blood over my life daily, Brian, I'm here today. Right. And I have no doubt in my mind it's because of that. But you know what? I'm going to make it more um, impactful to pray more. Uh, I'm going to make sure that's something that I I, I make time to do. And uh, I really want to encourage you as a a listener. We're so glad you're here. But I want to encourage you to do the same. Take time to be thankful today. Amen. For the little things. Yeah. You don't have to be thankful for that million-dollar check. Talk about it. Be thankful for the roof over your head. Be thankful for your job. Be thankful for the breath in your lungs. Be thankful for for walking. Be thankful for every little thing. Brian, we don't deserve it. You're right. Be thankful. All right, number eight. If you are serving in ministry, which we both are, Brian, how did you receive that call, and did you immediately respond? Um whenever I first felt called to the ministry was in a youth service I did not want to go to. Uh, I think I was in the ninth grade. And I remember my parents were forcing me to the Friday night youth service. And whenever I got there, there was three speakers at the time. Uh, and and by the third speaker, I was mentally checked out, even though, you know, some of their stories were incredible because it was, it was, you know, they were talking about folks that were in there. They were delivered from drugs and stuff. But, you know, You've been in services that even if, you know, you, like, let's take because of times, for instance, when you go to those morning services and there's three preachers in a row, it, even if they all knock it out of the park, it's still, you're yep. worn out. And you're ready to go eat. <laughs> yeah. And so I was kind of checked out. Well, our youth pastor at the time, Jonathan Sanders, uh, was giving a message. And, and at the end of it, when he reached the altar call of that, and there was a, I was in a room of maybe at the max 10 young people. And, and he asked a question. He said that he or, or he asked for someone in the youth group that would be the next leader to take a step forward. And that would be kind of a sign of stepping into their calling. And whenever he said that, I knew that couldn't be me because I knew that I wasn't right with God. I knew that I didn't even want to be in that service. And so who was I? But in my inefficiencies and in my insecurities and all that, in that moment, I felt the power of God fall on me. And I've never felt it like that before or since. And I kind of wonder if that's what um, Elisha felt when Elijah comes walking by and he, he just throws the mantle that represented the anointing. He throws it on his shoulder and then walks by and pulls that anointing down. And Elisha pursued that for years, or, or he followed Elijah just because he was touched by that anointing. And I felt like, to me, that's what I felt like was happening in that moment, was I felt that anointing, 
And it was years before I ever got to feel that again. Because I think as Elisha served Elijah, he probably did everything he could to get as close to that mantle again until eventually he possessed it. So with me, that's where I felt the moment. Now, how did I respond? I didn't know how to respond. Do we, do, does anybody? Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> My only thing was, well, I know God's doing something in me. So can I give a testimony? So I asked our youth pastor, hey, can I testify next Friday night? And so what I did was I, I encouraged the other young people, don't miss youth service because I didn't want to be there. But yet God did something in my life, and I don't know all of what it was, but I know that if I hadn't have been there, I wouldn't have felt it, and it wouldn't have changed me to be uh, what I eventually would become. And so that's how um, I first felt called. I didn't know how to respond. In fact, um, after those testimonies, I gave that testimony, and I gave actually a testimony in front of the entire church about it again. Um, and I actually spoke one other time. I'm sorry, there was one other time. Other than that, within that first about three months of that happening, I'd never got another opportunity to preach for al- or speak for almost six years or so. And so sometimes it's a long time before of that responding. The only way I could encourage someone to respond is through it all, be faithful and to pursue. Man, that's a good answer, Brian. I hope I can come up with something... <laughs> close to that but I can take you to um, the place where I got my calling in 2004 and I can take you to the place where I decided to accept it in probably 2012 because Brian I ran from it for so long I felt like I had to I had so much stuff I would rather do and I could get to God later and that is such a dangerous place to be um, thinking that you can run from God and just come to Him when you want. We're not promised tomorrow. And I would hate to be on my deathbed knowing what could have been. I would right. rather live a life full of regrets than a life full of wonders. What mm-hmm. could have been. And uh, I remember whenever I um, I went to my pastor and said, um, I'm, I feel like I'm called to ministry. And he said, I know. But my question to you is when you going to stop running from it. And... Um, I ran from it and ran from it and ran from it. And um, honestly, to this day, I, I, there's still times where I, I question why would God even call me? Um, Brian, I, I I had somebody. All right, I'm just, I'm going to be transparent. Is that okay? I had a, a prophet come to me at a point. Brian, you were there. And I, if anybody knows anything about me, I'm very careful about prophecies and who I let speak into my life. Uh, Brian, you know that more than anybody, man. But uh, I'm very, very careful because I don't want just anything being spoken to my life. And uh, he said to me, this was eight years ago, seven years ago maybe. No, man, I don't even want to put a date to it. It's so long ago. Uh, Yeah, and he said, your voice well, my wife just reminded me of this because of our podcast, but he said, your voice will reach thousands that others never will. Mm-hmm. Brian, how many streams do we have right now? Over 10,000 as of right now. How many downloads do we have now? We hit 5,000 a day. And here's the thing. Sometimes we think that God's calling is overnight. No, never that way. And little did I know that 
seven, eight, however long it's been, years later, that, Brian, we would start this podcast on a whim and be able to reach so many people. And I'm thankful for you guys listening. Without you all, this is completely pointless. It's me and Brian getting together on a Tuesday night at 8.54 recording a podcast that nobody's going to listen to. But because you shared this with us, we're so thankful you're here. But uh, it's it's stuff that sometimes you don't feel qualified. And that's something you got to push to the back of your brain. Um, because, Brian, none of us are qualified. Yeah. Um, this isn't one of the questions they asked, but you said something, and I, I want us to double down on this because I think this is important, uh, and I think there are some folks that whenever you just said it probably were connected with it, uh, where you kind of talked about how you kind of are skeptical of some things. But one thing you, you, you said in that was you're very careful about who speaks in your life. Talk about that. Well, I mean, there are there are people – that's in the world that are after certain things such as titles, positions, and they don't care who they've got to climb on or climb over or step on to get to. And I don't want just anybody that number one is not prayed up. Number two, that is not listening to um, the voice of God just coming into me and speaking things because it could not, that could not be for my, that could be for my danger, not for my benefit, Brian. And uh, I, there is three men in my life, Brian, I know you're the same, that I that have full veto power in my life, that have um, full say in my life. I will let them speak into my life. They both, two of them, have very recently spoken to my life, and um, and I appreciate stuff like that. But you know what? Sometimes I don't appreciate that, but late, later on down the road, I'm thankful for that. But... I just I I won't let just anybody speak into my life. Yeah, I'll listen, but it's gonna fall on a deaf ear. Um, thank you, but no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's that's why is uh, I'm not I'm not interested in just what anybody has to say to me. Um, but I am I'm thankful for your concern. Yeah. And I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that, being, you know, having kind of that filter put in. We went to uh, Sulphur Rock yesterday, Melissa and I, and there's a, a natural spring there that uh, the water comes out and you can drink it. There's no problem with it. Uh, it just comes straight out of the ground. Only catch is you're in Sulphur Rock. It tastes like rotten eggs. <laughs> and so I say that to say this. Yeah, you can take in anything, but I think when you put a filter on it, I have no problem drinking the water, but I don't want the taste of that rotten egg in it. That's right. And I think that what you have is you have a filter that, hey, I've got no problem drinking what you're what you're giving out. I have no problem getting nourished from that. But the problem is, is there's a, a stinking flesh that I have a filter on. That's right. That's uh, right. Um, so one of the questions that's here uh, that actually relates to something you were saying that we kind of got sidetracked. What was some of the what was something that you struggled with after coming to God, and what advice would you give a young person struggling with the same issue? Well, for me, Brian, something that I really, really, really struggled with was living for God, but being accepted by my friends that weren't in church. <laughs> um, I uh, I went to a secular high school, and uh, um, I I thought that. To be cool, you you shouldn't be 
have a relationship with God. You should have a relationship with baseball and basketball and football and um, music and everything else but God. And I really, really struggled with identity. And now I know I'm speaking to somebody because I've seen your social media. Everybody's seen it. You, we struggle so hard with fitting in but giving God our Sundays. But Monday through Saturday, we're more concerned with posting pictures of what we're doing that week or that weekend and who we're with. And, y'all, I'm just as guilty, so I'm not preaching to anybody. I'm, I'm just saying that's the world we're living in. Um, one of the preachers at our churches we live in a, says that we live in a selfie generation, and God, is that not the truth? And that's something I really struggled with. Something else I really struggled with, Brian, was giving up my music. Man, there I, I loved some music that just wasn't um, worship to God, and that is something that we need to be careful with is our music. And if truth be told, sometimes I still still struggle with that. Is my music? I mean, we've we've heard, especially from Pastor Zane Isaacson, episode three or four. Go back, listen. What a powerful story he's got. But uh, he talks a little bit about the importance of music and the dangers behind it. And that's something I really struggled with giving that up. Um, and if I could speak to that generation coming up is do not be ashamed of your identity. Because you know what? The people who's hating on you now will soon be wondering what you got later. People will be wondering why you're so happy, why why you're so blessed, why... You know, you know, Brian, I look back at the kids that I used to try to fit in with at high school. Not a single one of them's happy. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. And I was so worried about being cool to them and fitting into them and with them and listening to what they're listening to and relating with them at the cafeteria table. That, that stuff. <laughs> Brian, does that matter? No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But we put so much emphasis on that stuff when we're such a young, we're we're younger. And now I I don't keep in touch with anybody that I went to high school with. I'd still have some childhood friends, but you know what? They're my church friends. I mean, shout out James, Jared, Jonathan, Andrew. (laughs) What about you, Brian? Uh, Do you want my politically politically correct answer or my honest answer? You can't even say that, so give me your honest answer. All right, I'll give you both. Actually, you know what? I'll give you. Uh, I'll just yeah. I'll I'll give you the uh, just blunt, honest. I'll give you two since you gave us two. All right, number one. Let's just be honest, everybody. Whenever it comes to when you're talking about when you were young in ministry, and so with me that means I was a teenager. Uh, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot of spiritual discernment to realize <laughs> that that young men struggle with lust. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just be totally honest. And so that would, to me, that, that was a, you know, one of my struggles growing up is, you know, wanting to talk to girls all the time and speak about it and, and, you know, same here. I just didn't talk about it and struggling with, you know, whether or not to keep yourself pure until marriage and, and, you know, things like that. So what I would encourage a young man that's in my situation, whenever you're in your teenage years is these are formative years. These years will determine character they will determine um, several different things about you. I would encourage you that the time to make your mind up about what you're going to do in uh, a, a private situation is before you ever get there. 
In fact, you probably shouldn't ever be even be put in the private situation to begin with. But that's a decision you had to make early on. And so I would encourage any young man um, to be careful with that because you don't want to make a mistake and traps you into a relationship for the rest of your life. And you can draw your own conclusions what I mean by that. Brian, we're not politically correct. Let's talk about that. Let's 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 talk about the the ramifications of mm-hmm. premarital sex. Yes, guys, that that is something that you really need to consider before you step into. Um, like Brian said, it, it can get you entrapped in uh, something. Now, don't get me wrong. I have a little girl, but I waited until I was married for eight years to have her. Seven right. years to have her. Right. I mean. We we've talked to Alexis Cox. Shout out episode whatever. Um, she talked about being in a relationship she had no no uh, rights being in, and once she came to God, that that none of that mattered anymore. Brian, mm-hmm. and she goes around all over the nation, and even the world talking purity. That's important. It is important. It is important, and it's, it's a shame that our society has has made virginity into a joke. And so, I mean, young people out there, I mean, of course they're struggling because they're made fun of if they don't give in. Brian, let's talk. Let's say our favorite phrase: "You can miss me with that." Yeah, you can miss me with that. <laughs> I mean, there, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with keeping yourself to marriage. Uh, I mean, I, I I did not have sex until marriage. That's 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 something that we hope. Yeah. People can be proud of. Yeah, and, and I, I think that that is something to, to be proud of. I don't think that that's a shame by any means. Right. I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, uh, with me, being just totally honest about one of the things I've struggled with or thought with, thought with and has been in my mind is the thought of walking down the mall, holding my wife's hand, and knowing that guys are looking and seeing her and know they've been with her. And that's why I wanted a wife that has kept herself pure. Brian, let me give you this scenario. Um, I was in a purity youth room setting, group setting one time, and my youth pastor at the time said, could you imagine uh, being called to be a preacher and you come preach this mega conference? And you get up to speak in the in the first three rows, just three women you've had sex with before you got married. Right. Could you look them in the eyes and preach them the gospel? Right. <laughs> I mean, God still calls. Mm-hmm. But that's just something, you know, you don't want to yeah. be a part of. And the thing is, the grace of God covers all, yes. all sin. Yes, It, it does. And, and but like what I was referring to whenever I talked about how you didn't want to be stuck into a relationship is that it's a, it's a sad percentage of the majority of people that get married like in a shotgun wedding where they were forced to marry because of a pregnancy, they they tend to end in divorce. Yeah. I was actually the best man in a wedding that ended in divorce that was the same situation. Um, and here's the thing. So if you divorce, there's the grace of God that covers. But the fact is, is that when you have a child with somebody, even if for whatever reason you divorce, which I'm not a proponent of divorce by any means, but I'm just saying you're still having to be connected with them. You still have to be connected with them because holidays are going to come up and somebody's going to want to see their child. And so, anyway, perhaps we move on. But let's let's talk about one other thing because I said I would name two things. So let's talk about, we talked about things I struggled with early on, 
Let's talk about something that I struggle with currently today uh, for the sake of uh, ministering to someone that's in, their, in my situation. I don't feel like I'm good enough. I feel like I'm terrible. I feel like I'm just being honest about I feel like I'm I'm the most untalented, unqualified. Brian, Brian, Brian. That's at question number 20. Let's hold off on that. No, 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 because no, I think it, it <laughs> relates here. So wait, well, well, let me look at number 20 real quick and see. Number 20, how do you? Oh yeah, no, we will go down to number twenty. Yeah, okay, yeah. so we'll that pause on that. Yeah, so we'll so we'll go down. <laughs> All right, yeah. so we'll pause on that for later because yeah, I know hold, where you're going with hold that. Hold that thought. All right, so uh, you don't know where I'm going with that. Yeah, I know exactly where you're going with that. Ben. All right, so question number ten, we're gonna bypass because we kind of answered that. The what question was, was, what advice would you give this younger generation coming up, or to your own generation? Uh, actually, I want to answer that. All right, go ahead directly. Yeah, sure. Uh, what advice would I give this current generation? Dude, watch what you do on social media. Yes, absolutely. You will kill your witness with your social media because everybody in the world can see you post your drama, post about your bad day, hate on somebody. What you have for lunch. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I do that. <laughs> and I, I try and use my social media for two purposes, either to give people a laugh or to promote some form of ministry. That's pretty much the only thing I do. I really try not to get controversial. But the thing is, I've seen so many people that have posted just dumb stuff that has killed their witness. I have a screenshot. Actually, no, I just recently deleted a screenshot of somebody. They made an Instagram post that I kind of looked up in ministry, and they posted something that I thought was just the most stupid thing I've ever seen in the world. And it kind of made their credibility go down. Watch what you do on social media. And with that, I'll say this. For the sake of bluntness and being totally honest, if there's any teenagers that are listening, in particular, any young ladies, the picture that you're sending to that young man, just assume that all of his friends are going to see it. Mm. Because I didn't have Snapchat growing up. Oh, God, I couldn't imagine. But... I mean, I, I grew up in the days where you had to email pictures of yourself. Let's just be honest. <laughs> and I'm telling you, they got around in our high schools. And so I'm, I'm just, for warning, anybody out there that's sending explicit pictures of themselves, be very careful. And only, if you're going to send it, which, I mean, it's your body. And if depending on you, if you just feel so inclined, you can't help yourself. Before you send it, I just want you to ask yourself the question, Am I okay with all of his friends seeing it? Because it is likely that it's going to get passed around. Yep. And now that's you know that's a situation between you, God, and your parents. I encourage you don't do it. I think it's deeply immoral. I think that it's totally wrong. But the fact is, you're going to be tempted with that. And I hope for the sake of nothing else, stirring you away from that temptation is think, do I want other people in my high school to see this? All right, number 11, have you ever given a Bible study? For me, yes, I have. Um, one, one of my favorite Bible studies to give is what we're actually talking about right now. And uh, our church is lucky enough to have a great bus ministry and van ministry. And we reach the people in our church, um, and we love the people in our church that can't love us back, Brian. And I love that about our churches. We go into the places where nobody else wants to go. There are signs that say, get out. But we go anyway because they have souls and they need to be reached. But I, I took it upon myself. Uh, it's been a while back. 
but I really felt led to teach a Bible study called Gates and Fences. And what the purpose of a gate and a fence is, is to, to hold things out and to keep things out, but it's also to keep things in. And uh, if, if you haven't ever uh, had that book or study guide, I strongly recommend that um, if you're dealing with, I taught it to um, boys from the age of 12 to 18. And uh, it, it's strongly uh, recommended by me, like I said, but it, it talks about um, purity and uh, consequences and faithfulness. And, um, and if we're all honest with ourselves, it, it has such great potential. I mean, it's, it's a great Bible study. I know you, Brian, you, you've, you've teached quite a bit of Bible studies. Yes, uh, I've, I've taught uh, several um home Bible, I would rather do a smaller group Bible study verse by verse kind of Bible study than I would to a group of people in a preaching kind of setting and I know that seems like oh well he's just trying to show off how spiritual he is no honestly that's what I love to do that's what I think on more than anything is thinking on well how do I engage somebody on Genesis chapter number one and I'm always trying to refine it in my mind now I, it's one of those things that I wish I was bolder to initiate more Bible studies. I'm really not. Uh, most of my Bible studies have been set up kind of because of departments that I was in. And so we just kind of started the Bible study process. But if anyone's listening that's in the Jonesboro area and you're hungry for a Bible study, you want to know more about the Bible, reach out to us. I'd love to teach you a Bible study. And you know what? We're actually talking about doing a Bible study podcast. So stay tuned in for something like that. Oh, I'd love to do that. That'd be awesome, Tony. All right. So, Brian, number 12. Oh, number 12. You were asked it. Do you enjoy doing outreach and what kind of outreach? Uh, awkwardly enough, I thoroughly enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> uh a lot of people are very intimidated by it. And Brian, I want you to share the story of when you were in Wynn because I know you don't enjoy it. But uh, I, uh, I do enjoy it, especially um, when it's people that we can get. So let me just tell you a little bit. Um, my mother-in-law, children's evangelist, if you are looking for a dynamic children's evangelist that... Uh, takes church outside of the four walls of your building and reaches a community, I strongly suggest you contact her. her name's Kim Ramsey. You can find her on Facebook. Um, but what we do is a thing called street rage, reaching a generation effectively. And we go out to the streets and we bring Jesus to them because more than likely they're not going to come find Jesus. You know, you got to come to them. But we, we do a thing called blitzing a neighborhood or blitzing an apartment complex or something like that where we go to every door in the neighborhood and say, hey, we're having fun, fellowship, food, games, prizes, music. And we don't tell them anything about Jesus, Brian. <laughs> Nothing. We don't tell them anything while we're knocking on their door. But when we get them to that location, we do have the games. We do have the music. We do have the food. We do have the fellowship. We have a great time. But you know what we do? We sneak Jesus in there, and we have seen kids get the Holy Ghost on the street, on on their apartment complex playground. We we've seen it all, and it's something that I love doing, uh, just because the the um, the output you get from it is immediately, and I love that about 
um, doing street rages, you know, just getting out and meeting all these different kinds of people. And let me just tell you a quick story real quick. Um, we did street rage in Canada for two weeks and I, we were in a town called Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. And this older man and his granddaughter came to street rage and we pumped her full of Jesus and boy, she was having a great time. After the service, I went over and I shook grandpa's hand and said, thank you so much for coming and bringing your uh, granddaughter. And he said, no problem, but you need to know when I get home, I'm going to get an earful. I said, oh, I did not mean to offend you in any way. And he said, no, uh, it's just if we knew this was going to be about Jesus, we never would have came, but I'm kind of glad we did. I said, well, why is that? He said, well, my granddaughter's mama is atheist. And she would have never heard about Jesus if y'all didn't come. As a matter of fact, she would have Jesus would have been shunned in her life. And he goes, just like I let my daughter make that choice to be an atheist, I hope her mama lets her make the choice of living for God. And you know what, Brian? We never would have reached that little girl if we didn't take the time to say, hey, come join us for fun, for games, for food. What, what about you, Brian? Uh, super spiritual me does not enjoy outreach. <laughs> uh, and I know that is terrible and everybody out there is judging me right now, but no. And of course you let the cat out of the bag by throwing it out there and being like, well, he does it. Uh, it is totally against my, my personality. Um, they would, but the thing is, it doesn't excuse me just because I don't have a personality that seems fit for it. Doesn't mean that I don't, or I shouldn't, or you know, I, I, I'm not the, I'm the kind of guy that when you knock on the door, he's praying, please don't let him answer the door because <laughs> engaging people is something that I'm, I'm very nervous about. If they approach me, I've got no problem in the world, but it's approaching people is where I struggle. But this is an opportunity for growth. And if you're out there and you're thinking the same thing, well, you have an opportunity to grow and let's grow together in this. Uh, the story that Tony was talking about in when was that uh, we were doing a children's revival whenever I was working with Tony and the, the, um, uh, the flock and fritter comedy <laughs> routine before sister Kim Ramsey taught the kids about Jesus. Uh, I, I got really passionate about what we were doing. And I went to the pastor and I said, brother Austin, I think that we need to go door knocking. And he was like, awesome. Yeah, let's get together and, and let's go door knocking. So I showed up. Well, he had a meeting that he ended up having uh, to go to. And so I was kind of left for myself. I had like 300 flyers to hand out. I handed out like 10 of them because I was like, man, I'm so nervous. I can't do this. And so I, I found like 10 folks, handed it to them, and then I ended up going home. But uh, that just kind of shows a little bit of my personality. And so um, my, my main thing really, you know, here's the thing, is there are some that plant some water and God gives the increase. The thing is, when it comes to outreach, we all have a place to play in it. Whenever it comes to discipleship and soul winning in churches, I think we all just had to find the place where we're most effective. It doesn't mean that we don't do other things. It doesn't mean just because we're a planter, we don't water some, or just because we're a waterer, doesn't mean we don't plant a few seed. I think that there's a place where we're most effective, but it doesn't excuse us from the rest. That's right. All right, let's move on. Let's march forward. We're almost there, the guys. The truth is marching on. Yes. All right. So question 13, what is your favorite thing to study in the Bible? For me is definitely everybody's favorite. Obviously, David's pretty much, I would say, three-quarters of Christian's favorite Bible character. Uh, there's so much to learn from David. But past David, I would say my favorite thing to actually study and hope to live by is the story of Job. Uh, he's 
one of my favorite Bible characters. His story is the enemy takes everything away from Job. He had so much. Uh, a nice house, plenty of livestock, the best of the best, beautiful children. And um, the enemy just came and, and tried Job. And, you know, God, he stayed faithful to God, even when the, those closest to him said, just curse God and die. And yet Job remained faithful. And that's something I want to apply to my life is no matter what comes to me or what, what opposition may come that I may face, I always want to stay true and faithful to God. With me, it's cliche, but it's just the fundamentals. Anything that answers why, anything that uh, would give me an opportunity to always be ready in any season to give a response to anybody that would have a question, that is my favorite thing to study. And so anything to do with, well, why do you believe in the Bible? I dig into that. Why do you believe in the oneness? I dig into it. Why do you believe in speaking in tongues? Why do you believe that miracles are still for today? Anything that that in any way involves fundamental doctrines that make us who we are as an apostolic Pentecostal church, that's what I dig into. That is what my passion is. I could seriously, with nobody else in the room, if Tony just turned the mic on and walked out, I could talk for hours just on 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 speaking passionately about what I think about the apostolic truth, everything from the oneness of God to to separation from the world and outward dress, everything like that. I love talking about it. I love thinking about it. I love studying into it right now. And the thing is, like, what will happen is somebody will ask me a question, and then I dig in deep. So, Tony, whenever you went to that meeting that Sunday morning and you began to talk about the you guys, you guys did a oneness Bible study on a Sunday morning before church once, before, whenever my family was going out of town, so I wasn't there. Tony called me and he started talking about the introductions of the epistles, about how it talks about um, grace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You have no idea how many hours I spent in a study on those scriptures just to resharpen my sword so that way I would always be ready to give an answer for why the epistles are laid out in such a way. Anytime I'm asked a question, I dig deep, and that's my favorite thing to do. Right now I'm digging through eschatology, actually, so the, the study of the end times. I'm actually reading thesis papers by a guy that has his master's in theology, and I'm reading Dr. David Norris's book on, on the end times uh, at the same time. They both have very, very different views, and so I'm kind of comparing them as I go through. But that's what I'm into right now. But like I said, anything uh, anything that's going to relate to the, the cores that make us the apostolic church, I love, I love, I love, I love studying, listening, talking about those things. All right, let's move on. Number 14. Brian, why am I reading all these? Because you're better at reading than me. <laughs> How would you describe your worship in a few words? Well, uh, can I'll go I... first. You, no, you no, know. no, let me go first because okay. my answer is two words. Not enough. And I was over here looking for the scripture, and I found it. Um, it says in Deuteronomy 10 and 21, He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Brian, we have seen what God can do, and yet we still don't give him our best. No matter how much I worship him and praise him, it'll never be enough for the ultimate sacrifice he paid for me. Mega ditto. Uh, uh, with, with me, in a few words, all I can say is that I just hope that God would describe my worship as faithful. Oh, 
man, <laughs> faithful. I, I, I want him to be like, well, he responds to me in faith. I want, I, I want God, because the thing is, I can't really describe my worship. I can tell you what I think and what I hope. And, and what I hope is I hope that God would see it as a faithful response to his goodness and grace. All right, number 15, are there any books that help to shape your walk with the Lord? I mean, I'm just going to say, you know, yeah, anything that David Bernard has written has helped shape my theological beliefs. Um, John Maxwell books are great. That they, They're some of the most challenging books you can get about leadership, so those are really convicting to me. Um, there's so many. The thing is, I'm not, I'm not a prolific reader. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to read through several books right now, so it's hard for me to be like, oh, that's the book to go to. Uh, like right now, I'm reading the book Start. I've talked a lot about it, but I'm reading through it very, very slowly. Like I'm reading like one chapter, and then I'll read like two pages for like the next week. Uh, so I'm, I'm not... You're trying I'm, to start. <laughs> I'm trying to finish the book Start. There you go. And uh, anyway, so I mean, I can't really give you very many... Uh, but I would say that as far as authors go, David K. Bernard, anything theological, anything about the apostolic faith, and then John Maxwell, anything leadership, I love them both. For me, obviously you've heard it a million times on the podcast, Tale of Three Kings. We won't go into that too much. Oh, Brian's no tired of hearing that. The thing is, I called Tony last <laughs> night, and I was like, do you just want to quit the recommended reading portion? Because everybody just says the Tale of Three Kings. And it's just everybody the- needs to go listen to it. Uh, the second thing would be realign. Uh, yeah. The third thing would be Soar by T.D. Jakes. Um, another, I have that book. What's that? I have that book. Another, I have read it, but Another I book it. by T.D. Jakes I strongly recommend. It's also a sermon series. He motions. He motions. Yeah. It is um, his male version of Women Thou Art Loosed. It talks Ooh. about how to be a man. How to how to be a man for your family for God? I really strongly suggest that whole series. Oh my word, that's such a good book. And my last one would be Preaching Through a Storm by I think it's H. Beecher Hicks. Maybe you got it. Yeah, that's a that's a great story. He tells a story about losing his wife and kids while he's pastoring this mega church, and he's expected to pastor and lead his congregation. And uh, when he first gets up to preach, he starts talking about yeah, joy comes in the morning, but how long is the night gonna last? And for anybody who wonders that question, get the book. <laughs> it's a unique book because, he, like you said, it's like a journal. He walks you through his struggle, and then he has in there the uh, um, the the uh, written record of the sermon he preached to his church that week. Yes, very, very, very good, interesting, interesting book. All right, was church camp a big part of your youth? What kind of impact did it leave? Oh, my word, Brian, yeah. we were both camp rats. Yeah, well, like I said, I told my, my biggest story uh, – I, I'm, I just got to say here, and this is all I'm going to say about I'm not going to go into any instances because I told you about my biggest one with Brother Staten already. I'll just say this. Thank you to Rich Price, Chantry Dean. Those were the youth presidents of Arkansas whenever I was coming up. Thank you so much for for devoting your time into making camps what they were. Thank you to all the speakers that had a, that that played a part in ministering to my group uh, of young people. Some have actually walked away from the apostolic faith. But even those men, I'm thankful for because they they helped shape my the calling of God is without repentance. Yes, there was still an anointing there. Yes, um, I was a camp rat man. I went from age, I was on the Illinois campground when I was five years old, going with dad to all these different events. I mean, oh my word, I loved camp. I went to kids camp, teens camp, conquerors camp, family camp, Spanish camp, marriage camp. I didn't matter. I was there. I love I loved the Illinois camp. 
I loved it. Um, like Brian just mentioned, his youth presidents, uh, Brother Fergie, uh, Brother Colthar, Brother Cox, man, such such awesome men that uh, such huge impacts on my life. Uh, I always want to give a shout out to the brother Gaddy and his brother Todd Gaddy, Tim and Todd Gaddy. They tag team preach in 04 where God called me to the ministry. Man, I'll, I'll forever hold that in my heart. Chuck Carr, man, some of the most powerful sermons. Illinois Campground, Wapella, Illinois, man. I'm telling you, it's such an awesome place where I felt God called me into ministry and where I got to see my dad be ordained. Man, such a cool place. What's a, what an awesome, awesome place. Yes. All right, number 17 says, What traps do you feel like this generation could fall into? How do we combat that? Um, I'm going to say, originally, whenever I responded to this email, my, actually my, my, th- my, my uh, exposition there about social media was what I was going to say here is I think our generation can fall easily into a trap of mishandling the, the I, I could media. not agree anymore, Brian. Uh, but I will say uh, as something that's different than that, um, and I haven't deeply thought this out, so I'm just kind of going off the cuff with this one. I think a big trap we can fall into is the trap of thinking that we know more than the previous generation. Mm. And because we can look at our generation, and I could go into examples that I won't on here about convictions that our pre- our predecessors once held that now we kind of talk about in a joking manner of well look at how quaint they were and we have this in our life now and so i mean look we're, we're greater than them we're holier than them or we know more than them we're more educated than them and i think that's a trap i think that in their time it's hard you i think it's a trap to judge previous generations by this generation standards and, you know, we've talked about with Brother Steve Smith, and here I am. I'm, we're doing the thing. We say we try not to do, but we always do. <laughs> Loop back to previous no, podcasts. Don't worry. I'm getting ready but, to plug a future podcast. Yeah. yeah. But uh, w- with uh, Steve Smith, we talked about how this generation, we ju- they judge George Washington not as the great hero and father of America, but they treat him, you know, they look at him as a white supremacist because he had slaves and stuff like that. And, and yeah, I mean, it's easy for our generation to have the moral high ground. But when we go back 200 years, I mean, it, you know, I'm not, you know, excusing by any means what he did and, and the having slaves and things like that. But the thing is, that generation had a different standard of what was morally right. And I think in this generation, he wouldn't be a, a proponent of those things. Of course, I don't know. But the fact is, this is what it all comes down to is it's I think it's a trap when our generation looks back at previous generations that has no context of what they were dealing with and with the lives they were living at that time. And we look back at them and say, oh, well, they were silly because they had these standards in their life or they, they lived by these things and they looked at certain things and how did they not know this and that. This generation, it would be wise for this generation not to think itself so wise. For me, I think that I'm going to go right along with what Brian just just spoke of. We just recently recorded an episode with Michael Maupin, evangelist, um, known traveling evangelist Michael Maupin. He talked to us a little bit about stakes that are the the prior generation have placed in the ground. And our generations pick them up and move them a little further back. And the next generation is going to pick them up and move them a little farther back. And the following generation is going to do the same where all of a sudden – these issues are no longer issues, but they're accepted in the church. I want to urge this upcoming generation to fall in love with the truth and sell it not. For this truth is very valuable. And I just hope that we we hold 
value to that. And I hope that we will never forget what our forefathers had to struggle with to get where we're at today, and we don't take that for granted. Um, Number 18 is, do you fast, and what do you consider fasting? Okay, super spiritual me. Uh, Fasting is always a struggle. Of course. Uh, And there was a time where my wife and I, and I'm thankful that I married a a lady that has similar convictions that I have. Um, I'm very thankful for her. And I could go through and talk about so many different things uh, that I admire about Melissa. But, you know, to stay on top on topic for the sake of time uh whenever we left because of times i think it was last year we had purposed that we were going to fast every monday and and we would stay up until midnight just so we could break the fast and eat because because we're foodies we love to eat but uh you know fasting right now currently it's been a while since i fasted and you know this is one of those things actually i'm I'm requesting prayer from our listeners (laughs) that um like I have a, I, I don't, I haven't gone to the doctor partly because I'm afraid of what the doctor is going to to say, but um, I think that I have low blood sugar or diabetes. My mom's diabetic, um, because every day around 11, if I haven't eaten, I start getting sick. I start getting. Brian, now shaky you make me feel and, guilty for laughing. I thought you were wanting them to pray for you because you can't fast. No, no, <laughs> no. Uh, like I said, I mean, I have to take like nine ibuprofen, Advil a day to combat headaches. Um, anyway, so, and, you know, enough about my woes and stuff like that. But I mean, I, if I don't eat, like I get pretty sick. And so it, it's been a while and it's one of those things that I probably need to go to the doctor, get it taken care of so I can fast. But, uh, to the second point. So do I fast right now? No, I haven't. I have fasted in the past. I would recommend the, uh, if you really want to do a really good fast, start on Monday, cut out all sodas and caffeine and then around thursday cut out all sweets and that way you're kind of weaning yourself off go friday night have your last meal fast all day saturday break the fast on sunday after church i think that's a great way to fast i've done that it's i think it's the most to me it was the most spiritually beneficial fasting that i did um whenever melissa and i were were fasting we were eating on in the evening and then the next day after midnight we were eating and then i think we actually moved that at some point where we just did 24 hour and 24 hour um fasting uh but to answer the question what it what do you consider fasting obviously because i i've only spoken in terms of food i think fasting is about fasting food and i you know i i don't consider um fasting social media fasting personally and I know there's some folks that would probably hear that and get upset. Um, but the thing is, in my opinion, folks that tend to say, well, I fast television or social media, they go on these media fasts, and they say the reason why I did it is because it eliminates the distractions so that way I can draw closer to God. And to which I would say, if it's like that, don't ever watch TV or use social media. Because you had to eliminate the distraction to get closer to God. I think it'd be better just to stay closer to God and not have the distraction. You see what I'm saying, Tony? I see what you're saying. And I'll, so, oh, go ahead. And so, like, with, then if someone would say, well, with the fasting, whatever, you know, the, the purpose of fasting is, you know, why don't you just give up the fasting so that way you're always closer to God? 
or why don't you fast all the time? Because then we'd be dead. Because at some point we have to eat. So it's it's not apples and oranges. You said like Dwight Schrute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's not apples and oranges. I mean, it is apples and oranges. It is not apples to apples to say, well, I could say the same thing to you. Why don't you give up food all the time? You'll be closer to God. And actually, I would be with God because I would die. For me, <laughs> that's so funny. For me, uh, I... I fast, Brian, and I'm going to sound super spiritual here, whenever I need something from God. Mm-hmm. Whenever I um, feel like there's something I can't battle on my own, um, and I really need God's help. And that sounds crazy to you, and that, this is a question that I'm answering. You can answer this your own way. But whenever I feel like I need God's direction or God's favor in my life, I fast. Um, and contrary to what Brian just said, I fast things that are hard for me to fast. Obviously, I'm a thick guy, so I like to eat. So, yeah, I mean, fasting food is something that I do sometimes. Um, I, I like I like video games, fasting video games, um, you know, social media. I, I, I would love to see a 16-year-old fast social media, Brian. I think that would be very intriguing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's something that I like to do is something that I'm addicted to. I like to fast something I'm addicted to. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm, I have the only right answer. I'm just giving my personal opinion. Sure. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we're almost done here. Hey, it's not between me and you. It's between you and God. So I want to answer question number 19. Okay. First. Number 19 is one of my favorite questions this listener sent in to us. How do you address hot-button issues such as abortion, homosexual, etc. in the church? All right, I'm going to give you three words as my answer. Talk about it. The reason Brian and I started this podcast is because there are so many cliches and so many false facets in apostolic living. You have to be happy all the time. There's nothing wrong. Praise the Lord. I'm good. How are you? Those days are behind us. It's okay to talk about mental health. It's okay to talk about these hot-button issues such as abortion and homosexuality because they're what we deal with today. That is what this generation... Brian, I couldn't imagine going being being a middle school or high schooler nowadays. I used to hear my preacher say that from the pulpit whenever I was in school. I was like, it's easy. Think about it now. You can't be gender specific. They teach history and homosexuality. They There's no telling what kind of drugs floating around in school. I mean, I could not imagine dealing with the things that our children are dealing with in schools today. And I'm so thankful I don't have to, but I'm worried because my daughter will have to. But... I'm so sick and tired of people not talking about it. Court Chavis is a huge promoter of talking about your mental health because we're tired of losing our own, Brian. And tune into Farrah Easter's podcast and listen to her story. She's had a tape over her mouth for so long. Brian, we ripped it off. Yeah. And her testimony, no telling who it's going to share, are blessed. What about you? Uh, how do I respond to him um so if tony comes to me and he's like dude i gotta be honest with you i'm dealing with homosexuality oh god my my (laughs) response is not oh my word how can how could you i can't believe this this is unbelievable and tweet about it my answer would be okay and then we begin to go through the process of how 
you get away from that kind of lifestyle. And the reason why I say we say okay is because it doesn't shock me people sin. And I don't think that people's sin should be shocking to us and disturb us to the point of, oh my gosh, and we just freak out over it. I think that everybody sins, everybody makes mistakes, everybody does things wrong, nobody's perfect, and we shouldn't act like because was human sin and they fail. Brian, can I just say something here? Mm-hmm. Let's stop justifying and qualify sin. I'm sick and tired of saying that at least I'm not a homosexual or at least I'm not into drugs or at least I'm not out cheating on my wife. Mm-hmm. Let's stop justifying sin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think we're kind of in the same vein, so we can go ahead and go down to number 20. Okay. Brian, you started to answer number 20 earlier, and I stopped you. So now is your time to let loose and tell us a little bit about it. How do you deal with your feelings of doubt and insecurity in your ministry? Not well. Uh, (laughs) uh, You said that with such conviction. Not well. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't because I internalize things, and I get really depressed and angry and bitter at myself because I feel like I've come up short. Um, I always judge my, my worst day by somebody's best day. And, and the, the way that I look at myself is in a very unhealthy way sometimes because I'm my own works critic to the point that like I never really um, brag on my own success by any means. Um, so um, here, here's one of the things that happened to me recently as far as how do I deal with it. Uh, like I said, because I don't deal with it well, so I need help. And so I had a friend, Sean Butler, who called me. And I think it was the first conversation we had on the phone. And and we were just kind of talking, getting to know each other. We connected to us because of the podcast. His brother, Tim, uh, was on the end of the podcast of uh, Brother Etheridge. Uh, both Brother Etheridge's. Uh, his brother, Tim, was on there. So Sean's talking to me about the podcast and different things. And he's kind of like, man, I like the show. And... We talked for like an hour. Well, at the end of the hour, he kind of stopped and he said, hold on, I feel like the Lord just gave me a word for you. And the word he gave me was that God said to me, you are enough. And when he said that, I wrote it down in my phone. So I would remember the time, I would remember the day, and I'd remember the words. Because I don't deal with my own insecurities well. And I allow my insecurities to restrict myself from being used of God. And in those moments where I don't handle it right and I don't think right, I refer back to that now. And here it's been maybe almost a month, and I've had to refer back to that already several times, is that statement, you are enough. And I want to speak to an individual that's out there that you struggle with insecurity, you struggle with not feeling good enough, you don't feel like you're up to par, and I want to speak that word to you as well. Mark down the day and time that you're hearing this. You are enough. I want to tell you what really has helped me, and it goes hand in hand with what Brian's already said, but I want to give a special shout out to Tony McCall, and I should say soon to be Dr. Tony McCall, and Bobby Hartkin. Um, I want you, as your homework to go out and find people that you can place in your life that can speak into it, that can help you 
in any situation. Now, I'm talking about somebody you can hold yourself accountable to. And you know what? Lying to them ain't going to help. But how I dealt with all of my worries and insecurities and frustrations with God is I didn't hold it back. I found someone I could talk to. I trusted them. They trusted me. And the conversations we had hasn't always been lovey-dovey and, oh, everything's going to work out. Just pray about it, brother. No, it's been stuff that I didn't want to hear. It's been tough stuff. But it's because I chose those men and they've trusted me and I've trusted them that they can say stuff that I can grasp onto and hold onto and know that they're not out there telling somebody or just putting it hot on the wire like Brian was saying, putting it on Twitter or whatever. And um, I just want you as our listeners to go find somebody that you can hold yourself accountable to that when you're struggling, it's okay to talk about it. That when you're not being as faithful as you should be, you can talk about it. That whenever you're struggling, listening to God and hold on to God's promises, that you can talk about it. And that you're not out there alone. You're not fighting this alone. You're you're somebody that has has ears for to somebody. And I, I promise you, you will not regret it. Uh, Brian, I, I've loved sitting down and answering these questions. There's also a second portion of questions. And we're going to do another episode with those um, real soon. I'm super excited about what we're going to do with them. Um, Brian, is there anything else you want to add? Um. All I think I'll say in the end here is that everybody out there, give yourself lenience and time to grow. Don't be so eager to be somebody or be something that you miss the stage of life where you're at right now. Mm, that's deep, Brian. Yeah, because I, mean, I think we, we get that way. Um, one of the I'm thing, guilty. One of the things that I've struggled with is, you know, when we started the podcast, we talked about uh, physical health, and I signed up for jujitsu classes, and I haven't gone over a month. <laughs> and one of the reasons why is the thought of going in there and getting beat up by all these people that have been doing it for years. And why is it that I'm so discouraged? I'm in a stage right now, in a learning stage, they've all been in before. They've been in those shoes. They know what it's like to be the guy that doesn't know nothing. And rather than taking the time to learn the fundamentals, and enjoy the stage I'm at right now, I kind of pulled away from it because I wasn't as good as somebody else. What it is, they just weren't a different stage. Where you're at right now, make the best of it. And don't be so eager to just dive out there and be something that right now you're not. Because you can become it someday, but don't cause your insecurities to cause you to default yourself into resigning to be what you already are and not pursuing what you can be. Guys, thank you so much for listening to The Crucial Conversation.